Marini's Media. It's been a tumultuous time for the EFL, its members and, well, everybody. But after more than three months on pause this weekend, we hit play on the championship season with the League 2 playoffs to enjoy as well. Now with added athleticism, this is the Totally Football League show and also a Marcus Rashford fancast. Hey gang, thanks for stopping by. Whether you're a first-timer or a long-timer, you're most welcome into our empire of EFL chat, our fountain of the Football League, our podcast of pontification, etc. and so on. The keen-eared amongst you will have already noticed that I'm not Caroline Barker, I'm Matt Davis-Adams. If you've been across the social this week, you'll know Caroline has sealed a sensational move to Sky Sports. Well done, that woman. She'll obviously be a star in her new role, just as she was in this one, from all of us at Team Totally. Congrats, Caroline. We've also bid farewell to the incomparable Joe Crilly. It's not a Bolton thing, honest. Joe, we wish you all the best in your future endeavours. Odds are you'll be a roaring success wherever you go. Uh, That was a betting joke. So, some goodbyes, but there are a couple of lovely limpets who just won't be kicked off this particular op. First, join me in saying hello to a man who studied at the Royal College of Music with Freddie Sharp and Edgar Evans, winning the Summer and Godfrey English Song Competition. He also played for Arsenal Southend, Stevenage and more. These days, he's a tip-top tactical analyst. It's Adrian Clark. <laughs> hello, tip-top, I like it. What about the singing? Are you going to give us um, a burst from the pipes, or should we save that for <laughs> later in the season? Let's save it, yeah, let, let's, let's keep our powder dry. Yeah, that's something to keep listeners coming back, uh, I'm sure. Uh, with Adrian, a new dad, a big lad, but certainly not a cad, the Swindon Town Hall of Famer, it's Super Sam Parkin. Hi, Matt. How you doing? <laughs> Hi, Sam. I'm all right, thanks. I was expecting you to be all, <laughs> yeah, good intro. Really buzzing for the return of football, but no, you really I was going to say. I was going to say so. It's nice to be looking forward to some proper <laughs> soccer for the first time in many a week. Well, on that then, how how are you feeling? Excited is is the obvious way, but but also a bit of relief, maybe a little bit trepidatious as well. It's kind of this unknown world for all of us that we're going into from Thursday. I'm excited. I don't. I'm not sure what we're going into in terms of a, a spectacle, but thoroughly looking forward to Thursday night first and foremost. Um, the, the playoff games. I just think we might be in for some really caging encounters. Obviously, maybe the the form that's gone on. Already this season is going to be uh, not as relevant, maybe. Yeah, I could see some low-scoring fixtures rather than the the free-scoring playoff games that we see uh, year after year. So it's going to be really interesting. Obviously, the the home advantage may be going to go out the window to a degree and some of the clubs that rely on having that great atmosphere in the championship um, are going to find it difficult to pick up maximum points at home. What do you think, Clark? You maybe take a couple of rounds of games for the championship size before they all get accustomed to this new environment? It's going to be weird, isn't it, for them? Because, yeah, it's alien. Obviously, they, they play full-scale practice matches all the time, but it's not the same. There aren't points on it. So, yeah, it would take some adjusting to. What's exciting for me is that it's all to play for, isn't it, in the championship? Goodness me. I think there are only maybe three teams that are kind of going to be mid-table obscurity. That The rest are either in a relegation battle, an automatic promotion battle or a playoff battle. So every match is going to be of critical importance. The players are going to have to motivate themselves, aren't they? Some feed off crowds, don't they? We know that. We've seen it down the years. Some players are much, much better, especially on home turf, where they're supported by, by the legion of, of supporters. How are they going to cope? There's loads and loads of things 
to keep our eye on in, in the weeks to come. But yeah, it's, it's great to be able to talk about actual football again. It's brilliant. We're going to be doing plenty of that as the show goes on. Now, you might have noticed that Muddy Knees Media has been taken under the athletics wing. Don't worry, listener, nothing changing here. But should you wish to say adios to the ads and read some of the best football writers in the biz, then we've got an offer for you. You can carry on listening to us for free everywhere you usually do. But all the Totally shows, all of them, are now ad-free on the Athletic app. This week only, you can get 50% off subscriptions by going to theathletic.com slash TFS. Okay, consider the scene set. Producer Abby, plot a course for the championship. You're listening to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. Championship headlines away from the upcoming tantalising oh-so-missed football action. There's been some news if you're, say, a Charlton fan because you've got a new owner in Paul Elliott. Not that one. More on the new Charlton fella shortly. Meanwhile, Birmingham will be parting company with Pep Clotet at the end of the season, whenever that may be. Since Alex McLeish left in 2011, the Blues have gone through eight different permanent managers. Any guesses on who's been in charge the longest since then? Well done if you said Lee Clark with 116 matches. And eight players have tested positive from the Championship for COVID-19, four in League One and zero in League Two. Right, we'll preview the weekend's action soon enough. But first, a quiz. Uh, Now, I'm famously brilliant at quizzes, so I'll be asking the questions just to give the other two a chance in this one. Clarky versus Parky, then the subject, the championship season so far. Listener, see if you can best the boys. Let's toss a coin. Tails, Sam goes first. Heads, Adrian goes second. You all right with that, Sam? Yeah. We didn't get it. I didn't know about a quiz. This is, this, is, this is all new to me. Goodness me, I would have revised. Okay, well, Sam's just failed the <laughs> most famous coin toss joke in the game. So I think you're probably going to do all right. Heads or tails, Adrian? Uh, tails. Uh, what is it, Abby? Whatever is needed to make Sam go first. <laughs> okay, Sam, you're going first. <laughs> Great. Uh, who did Leeds beat 5-4? thanks to a 94th minute winner in December. I'm just going to go for the first team that came to mind. 5-4. Whole City? Oh, I know it, I know it. No, can no, I, can, I know it, I know it, sorry. Oh, I've gone, haven't I? That was 5-0, yeah, wasn't it? What was your guess, Clarky? Cardiff? No. Birmingham, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Birmingham. <laughs> Solid start. <laughs> we know our stuff, Play, don't we? <laughs> Uh, Adrian, question number one. So they're all, they both have kind of similar themes, your questions as they, as they go. I've forgotten what's yeah. happened. But I can't remember what I did yesterday, let alone what happened months ago. Come on, let's try. Okay, well, now you can empathise with, with how badly I panicked and, and failed in the Intertopia quiz. Um, <laughs> right, Adrian, question one. The season kicked off in flamboyant fashion at Kenilworth Road with Luton against Borough. What was the score in that match? Oh, yeah, I do remember this one. 3-3. Three, three. Okay, 1-0 to Adrian. Question number two for Sam. February's Manager of the Month has reigned supreme for some time now. Who is it? Or was it? Good grief. That's a really (laughs) difficult question, to be fair. February's Manager of the Month? Yeah. Um, Thomas Frank. The thing about a podcast is that all that can be edited out. No, it wasn't Thomas Frank. Clarky, any idea? No, not really. Uh, I'll I'll go for Slavin Bilic. Oh, he's only gone and got it. Uh, you don't get a point there because it wasn't your game. Here's question number two. Adrian, who was the first manager to be given the sack in the championship this season? <laughs> Good luck. Ah. 
<laughs> Goodness me. Um, was it the Huddersfield Town Manager? Can't remember his name. <laughs> yeah, to be more specific than that, uh... Uh, Jan Sievert of Huddersfield Town. Yes, is correct. Yes, get in. Uh, Sam, question number three. Against which team did Wayne Rooney make his derby debut? Oh, again, I'm going to go for the first thing that comes to mind and probably get it wrong. I think that was Barnsley. You're off the mark. That yes. Is your first yeah. correct answer. Barnsley is correct. This is the last question. I should have said that, so Sam, you already lost, but at least you got on the scoreboard. Um, right, Adrian, you've got to get this one right, otherwise uh, you and I will have crosswords. How many league matches have the two-time European champions Nottingham Forest won in 2020? In 2020? Yeah. Uh, that's a bit hard, isn't it? How many league matches have they won? How many games they've played? Um, I'm going to say four. Oh, close. Five. Right, so Adrian wins 2-1. A listener, do stick around. We've got Phil Hay coming up soon. He's a genuine expert on the championship. Not like these clowns. Let's get to some previews of the weekend's action, shall we? Fulham versus Brentford. Sam, you've been waiting three months for this match. You were supposed to go, weren't you, when it was uh, originally scheduled under the lights at the cottage? Yeah, I was. And um, I think it was only decided on that morning, wasn't it, that the championship was going to draw to a halt so um, yeah waited a long time for it obviously a lot of the tactical nous uh, that we had going into that game probably goes out the window but I mean it's beautifully poised I think it's enormous for for Brentford considering they've got West Brom around the corner as well so it's now or never for their slight automatic credentials it's a huge game I look at Brentford's recruitment in terms of Baptiste and Fossu and, and Derfus Oglu as well. He showed a few decent cameos before the football was stopped. That's like three new signings and Pontus Janssen returning to injury. They're going into this looking really strong with a pretty good fixture list. So it's not all done and dusted for Brentford, but I think there's a huge pressure on them to get maximum points against Fulham at the weekend. And um, yeah, um, despite there not being any supporters there, it should still maintain a little bit of an edge. Um, difficult to call. I think it will be one goal either way. So, Clarky, Sam thinks it's going to be a tight game. It might well be a game with plenty of goals in it too, given that we've got the likes of Mitro, Kearney, Deckard Overreed, and then the BMW for Brentford. It's um, It shouldn't be nil-nil. It shouldn't be, no. But because there's so much at stake, I tend to agree with Sam and, and think it might be a cagey affair. But yeah, the quality of the forward lines is, is just incredible. For Fulham, I just wonder, they, they were sort of picking up results before the break, but I didn't feel that they had found much of a groove, really. I, it was still needed tweaking in terms of the way that they played. I just wonder whether Scott Parker, if he's used his time wisely during this this, this sort of uh, period, I wonder whether he's really come back with a clearer message on what he wants for his players and and yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how Fulham go. And, and if he has recalibrated the team and just ironed out the weaknesses that, that they had, particularly going forward in terms of their narrowness and the, and the, the slowness of their distribution, if, if he's got to the bottom of that and fixed it, we might, we might finally see Fulham playing to their potential. Because I, I still think that their potential is just as great as, as Brentford's, if not more, because they've got a lot of talent, Fulham. So, um, yeah, interested to see... See how they fare. You know what it's like during the season. So many games are happening. 
that, that Scott Parker might not have had time to address the issues that guys like us were, were picking up on and supporters. He's now had that time. So, yeah, fascinating to see how Fulham respond. I think it's going to be interesting to see how Ben Rama starts um, the, the <laughs> yeah. games that remain, considering there's been the interest in the last few days. Strikes me as a type of player who maybe, um, I suppose, it might affect him a little bit, you know, the, the magnitude of the moves that they're talking about. So I think it's going to be vitally important that Embuemo continues in the brilliant form that he's been in. I think 11 goals he's got. He's probably outshone Ben Rama, I think, in terms of consistency, but we know what a match winner Ben Rama is. So I think that's really important to keep an eye on and with the names that both of us have mentioned, uh, particularly Fosu, who I think will move into that role uh, seamlessly. So Fulham six points off second place ahead of the weekend. The, the gap 10 for the Bees. So as, as Sam mentioned, they probably need to win this if they're maintaining hopes of going up automatically. One thing we should mention, Clark, is, is this amendment to the rule where you can have nine subs and, and bring on five of them. And, and you think of Fulham have a relatively deep squad. They've also got a very good academy and that kind of thing might be important. You know, if we are led to believe that players are going to be picking up muscle injuries left, right and centre, you might have to dip into your academy a little bit. So Fulham might be a beneficiary of this. I think it's a point worth making. Um, so well done, Matt. I think that's really... Yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> it's taken two it's, years, but we finally got there. <laughs> no, it is a good point. And they've got a deep squad. We know that. Um, and yeah, the, the academy players, I do hope they get their opportunities there has to be a lot lot more rotation, I think, between now and the end of the season. But you know what it's like with with, with every point meaning so much at this business end of the season. I still think managers will will resist it and, and that they'll try and run their favourites into the ground, so to so to speak. On on that front, Brentford, of course, have a B team. And I, I read a piece actually by by Dom Fifield at the time. It was on the Athletic where he followed the B team, and it was a really really interesting piece and it and it it made me think that maybe Brentford are doing it right here that they're getting good competitive action we've seen a number of players emerge from the B team into the first team this season and last and and look it could be an opportunity for those B team players not kids half of them a lot of them more experienced guys to to come in and and, and beef up their squad so so they might be beneficiaries too. Sam, finally on this game, we're going to talk later about distances travelled and how people are going to deal with this during this time. It's a benefit for Brentford in a game like this, isn't it? We talk about home advantage having not counted much in the Bundesliga, but but how you're travelling to games and the distances you go might well impact things. Brentford don't have to make any change to their normal routine because they're playing just down the road. No, I think that is something to take into account. I suppose the uncertainty that some of the players will be having in in traveling will it be on the coach or or via their their own cars up and down the country for the championship program this weekend there's still going to be an element of anxiety I would suggest I'm certainly going to have it when I first cover my games at the weekend so the players aren't going to be different to that so yeah the Brentford players can easily um, shuffle across West London and find somewhere Difficult to park off um, <laughs> the Fulham Palace Road and, and probably just idly. Or they could do the Adel Tarat, who famously got the bus home uh, from Fulham after a particularly chastening experience, I think, at the hands of a, a Premier League Fulham, it would have been back then. But um, yeah, it, it's not going to disturb Brentford's preparation too much. They're going to be in confident mood uh, for the reasons that we've already stated. Players back, players fitter. So yeah, now or never. 
for me and um, it's set up to be, re- be a really good encounter. Another huge game this weekend up at the KCOM Stadium. Hull City versus Charlton Athletic, a relegation battle royale. Charlton would move out of the drop zone at Hull's expense if they pick up the W here. Uh, two clubs who've had even less pleasant lockdowns than most. Hull didn't want to restart and Charlton, well, they did Charlton stuff. It was 2-2 between these two last time that they met. If we start with Hull, just the one win in 2020, and that was back on New Year's Day. They've lost 9 of 11 in the league since. And massive personnel issues, Adrian. Malik Wilkes will play the first two games, then go back to Barnsley where he'd been on loan. But Eric Lehigh, Jackson Irving, Stephen Kingsley, Marcus Madison, all been released after failing to agree extensions for the rest of the season. Lehigh and Irving, the two that really stood out to me from that, key players for them for, for most of this campaign. Definitely captain and vice captain. It, what, what does that tell you about about how fragmented the Tigers squad are at the moment? I, I was I was beginning to think well, the, the lockdown happened at the perfect time for Hull because they were in a right state. Half most of their defenders were out injured. They conceded twenty five goals in the eight matches leading up to the break. They were all over the place. They were destined for the bottom three, probably bottom two, the, the way they were going. You thought, well, they'll get everyone back and everything will be rosy. But no, these four players have, have decided they don't want to be a part of it because they don't want to stay beyond their contracts and, and run the risk of injury ahead of a, of a move. So that's their right, of course, but I, I don't like it. I don't, I don't think it's the right thing to do. Certainly not when you're in the midst of a relegation battle. And if your captain and vice-captain are jumping ship, I, mean, I think that speaks volumes for, for how untogether this whole city team and club are right now. It's, it's, a, it's a mess. They're a mess. Sam, we spoke about Charlton's takeover. Uh, the big story over the break, other than that, as far as the addicts go, has been Lyle Taylor-Clark. He's mentioned about the whole players there and that he thinks that they should carry on or that they shouldn't just down tools. Uh, Taylor, obviously, has been, been a high-profile player doing this. He's not going to play for, for Charlton again. Where do you stand on this argument? You surely see the players' point of view as well. You know, Lyle Taylor's... He's not 21, he's 30. If he is getting this move, this is going to be the one that sets him up for the rest of his life. So it's understandable that he wouldn't want to jeopardise that, isn't it? I understand it. And especially when you consider that he's been hindered pretty much for the entirety of the season with little niggly injuries. I think early part he was missing games and obviously got injured on international duty. But I can't say I agree with it. And it's not something I would have ever done. I wouldn't have had the... I called it bravery the other day, which was probably ill-judged because I don't think it's brave. I wouldn't have been able to come into the training ground and tell my teammates and tell the staff that I wasn't putting myself out there on the pitch to try and avoid relegation. It just wouldn't have been in my character. Yes, the, the uh, schedule is completely different to anything we've seen before, but there are still games remaining in this season. He should be out there with his team because they're going to be very, very hindered, very light in the striker department. He was their best chance of staying in the division. Um, that said, Macaulay Bond did very well when he was absent, scored some massive goals. I think Fulham and West Brom springs to mind, maybe against Leeds as well. So he's going to have to hit the ground running. But in terms of Taylor, I just think sometimes try and do the right thing by the people that have supported you. And yes, you have to look after your family, but trust that he'll get through the 
the, the remaining games, he'll do well and maybe even make himself more you, attractive to potential employers. Have you been in this position, Sam, as a player? Because I, I take myself back to my time at South End. I'd been ostracised, really, I think is the best word to describe, from, from the manager at the time, Alan Little. Um, we didn't get on. And I knew that my contract, no one had mentioned my contract. I knew that my contract was not going to be renewed at the end of that season. I knew that I would be having to look for a new club. But then towards the end of the season, he suddenly out of nowhere, I think there must have been injuries. He wanted me. He wanted to to use me. I didn't turn around and say, no, Alan, nah, I don't want to get injured, mate. I said, well, I I didn't hesitate. You, you, You think, well, it didn't even come into my thinking genuinely that, oh, what if I get injured here and I'll be clubless and injured? That'll be disastrous for my for my career moving forward. You just you just answer the call and you play. Did, did that ever happen to you? The only comparison I can make was when I was coming to the end of my time at Swindon. I had, I had a year left on my contract, but, you know, the, the deals had been spoken about. I knew I was moving on and I was desperate to play in those final few games. I actually, ironically, missed a couple with injury, but I was back out there the last game of the season um, to, to play and... Yeah, I think Taylor as well is experienced enough to look after his body. Uh, Lyle Taylor, who's not training during the week and wrapped in cotton wool, is still better to Charlton Athletic than not having him available. I think you use your experience, you have a day in the swimming pool, you have a day in the gym, uh, and you make sure you're ready for, be it 60, 70 minutes, to try and get those goals to keep Charlton in the division. I think he's... I think he's let his teammates down and you'd have to say the same about the the chaps you've just mentioned at Hull City. Huge miss, Irving, always good for a goal. Not as much this season, but big player for them and obviously the captain as well. So Charlton, even though they've been dealt a tough hand, they'll have been buoyed by that news yesterday. Well, it's not just the Lyle Taylor news. Plenty going on at the Valley as ever. The Addicts have got a new owner in, Paul Elliott, who's taken over from East Street Investments, who took over from Roland du Châtelet in January. Rollercoaster 2020 for Charlton. Friend of the show, Rich Corley from the South London Press, says this change hasn't been approved by the EFL. To add to the tumult, former executive chair Matt Southall is claiming a seven-figure fee for services to the club in court action. Uh, His lawyer is Paul Daniels, but sadly for the Addicts, it doesn't look like he's going to make Southall disappear anytime soon. Much more to this story as ever. It would require its own show. No doubt it will rumble on and we will carry on talking about it. Now, one team that have been itching to get the season back underway and finish off a mission they started in 2004 at Leeds United. The mission returned to the Premier League. Joining us now to talk the season so far and what the future might bring is the Athletics' Phil Hay. Uh, Phil, even after this long pause, surely this is the season that it's finally going to happen for Leeds United and they get back into the top flight. Well, this is what we were all saying with about five or six games to go last season. And, you know, over the years, people have said to me that certain fans, one in particular always says to me that there's literally nothing that Leeds United can't bottle. And I think if anything demonstrated that perfectly, it was the, the playoff semi-final last season, which I think prior to that goal before half-time, you would put a, you would have put a mortgage of any size on Leeds going through to the final. It does feel slightly different this time round. I think one of the key differences is the, the table itself and, and the fact that 
there isn't a three-horse race in the way that there was last season with Leeds, Sheffield United and, and Norwich. Fulham are, are still very much in the running. They, they aren't out of it. But it was tighter last year and, and there wasn't this kind of advantage over third place. And I do think because of the, the fixtures that Fulham have got coming up and because they're running is is kind of unusually horrendous given the, the the fact that most of the teams or a lot of the teams they're playing are, are right right next to them in the table I do think it's a big ask for them to close the gap It's been a kind of up and down season in terms of results and form for Leeds but they were in, in great nick just before the pause, five straight wins, hadn't conceded a goal in that time What have Bielsa and Co been doing to try and make sure that momentum isn't lost. Are they kind of reminding the players of, of where they were before the break? It's got to be difficult to keep that up. You're essentially going from, from one season to another in, in terms of the gap of time. What's interesting with Leeds is that they, they were very alive to the um, to the COVID infection. They had the, the first meeting about it back in January. The, the, the head of um, medical medicine and performance, Rob Price, uh, he, he had... He, called a meeting at that stage to discuss it because he could tell that it was likely that the UK was going to be affected. They weren't sure at that stage what um, what the impact was was going to be, but they were almost preempting a lockdown and preempting a scenario where people might have to train from home or where training might have to be done in, in more isolation. But at the same time, they were one club who were always convinced that the season would start up. So they had daily fitness sessions, they had to submit their weight every morning in the way that, that they do with Bielsa. He insisted that they were kept at as close to full tilt as they could possibly be, minus being actually able to get out in a collective group at the, the training ground at, at Thorpe Arch. So they, by all accounts, have come back in extremely good shape. And, and whereas you've had you know, a handful of clubs, particularly in the Championship, who, who haven't been so keen on a restart and weren't so keen on a, a June 20 restart, um, this is absolutely what Leeds wanted and, and how they wanted it to play out. Oh, it sounds like Leeds were, were one step ahead of the government. Um, should, should get this guy on the Sage Committee. <laughs> but the, um, on, on the fact that Leeds... Leeds were... There's always this fear around Leeds that they were going to burn out because that's what happens to Bielsa teams. It's kind of what happened last year, whether it's physical or mental burnout. I, I guess a, a mixture of the two. Surely this, this three-month break has, has done them a huge favour that... That they could be the team to benefit most from it, and, and and part two of that point or question would be: Do you actually think that Bielsa will will use more than one or two subs now that he can? Funnily enough, I went back and I had a look at his um, substitutions of the last two years because I've got it in my head that he makes very few, and and that it's not that you know his his preferred strategy is to leave the same same eleven on the pitch for as long as he can. You know, he's not somebody who particularly likes to to mix it up, and I'd be very surprised if we saw a single game where he was using. Um, five substitutions. He, he has the lowest in the championship along with Swansea this season, and and he was he was a long way down the scale um, in his first year as well. What what you see with Bielsa is that his his substitutions tend to be very very forthright. So rather than being in a rut of just using three players through the back end of the game and giving the odd academy player a debut off the bench, he he makes. M- multiple substitutions at half time when games are going wrong or when things aren't quite right or when he's not really happy with the play he, he will he will there and then drag a player out throw a player on and it's it's an unusual unusual system and an unusual method of of management which does generally work for him in terms of the advantage i'll be interested to see because the amount of time they've had away from full training the amount of time they've had away from matches is you know 
very, very unusual for professional players who aren't injured. You know, even over the summer, a lot of players stay fit, employ personal trainers. And there is that risk, and we've seen it in Germany, of, of soft tissue injuries creeping in because the bodies are going from a, a kind of unexpected lull period into this full intensity and, and, you know, almost excessive intensity of games back to back. But I think generally in terms of fitness levels, it should help them. They they should be in, in a good place. And while I think they would all much rather have played on in March because they, they clearly had a lot of impact behind them there doesn't seem to be a feeling that they've been any way set back by this Phil I want to ask you about that sparse striking department two-pronged question really I read your piece on Kevin Augustan and understand he's going to be missing for some weeks is there a feeling within the club that maybe they've made a bit of a mistake with that signing and in his absence is Tyler Roberts the only alternative to Patrick Bamford in the games that remain yeah, probably. I would say that about Roberts, certainly. I mean, the the one thing that Bielsa would do in the way that Bielsa does is um, play Jack Harrison as a number nine if, if he had to. He has done that once before. But, I mean, Bielsa is somebody who can convert a, a centre-mid into a centre-back and can, you know, can change a player's position with a bit of work quite easily. But, no, it will be Roberts who plays behind Bamford. I, I think the, the irony of this whole discussion and, and even the signing of Augustine in January was that nobody actually expected him to play very much because... Because Bielsa does have this, this this unwavering faith in Bamford, and and Bamford, you know, for for all his sins in terms of finishing and the criticism that he gets for not taking enough of his chances, he fits the system very well. He understands when to come deep. He's extremely good at, at springing the high press. He he runs the channels well, and you need to do that in a Bielsa team. I mean, I I say all the time that Bielsa is not interested in a, a thirty goal striker who just finishes from six, eight, ten yards constantly. He he would much rather have a striker who doesn't score too regularly but does what he wants to do what wants him to do as part of a cog in the machine but you're right I mean if, if Bamford was suspended or if there was an injury there it does suddenly make them very thin and it, it has to be said that Roberts has never looked like an out and out number nine you know he, he's almost he's it looks like a massively talented kid um, but he's almost somewhere in between a, a 10 and a nine still to to really find his niche Phil Hay, Leeds guru for The Athletic. And remember, you can read more from Phil on theathletic.com and get 50% off with this snazzy web address, theathletic.com slash TFS. Uh, one more thing we must mention before we move on is the return of Nathan Jones. Gone too long, Missy Caroline. Uh, back to Luton Town. No real surprise there. What do you think, Clark? Will he be able to make the Hatters tip top again? It didn't work out for him at Stoke, to put it mildly. It didn't, but he was very comfortable in the post at Luton. What he did there was brilliant. Over a long period of time, the players bought into him and his philosophy. And yeah, I, I think it's a, a sensible appointment. I really do. Because they need a short, sharp jolt, don't they, Luton Town, to, in order to survive. And I've looked at their fixtures and I wouldn't swap their fixtures for anyone else in and around the relegation zone. So if Nathan can get his infectious energy across and really get his players going, I think they've got a chance. I really do. What he'll find, though, is that his team has been stripped of of its prize assets, particularly at fullback. The two guys that he had, Stacey and Justin, were, were, were huge for Luton Town during his tenure. They're not there anymore, and he hasn't got like-for-like replacements. Sam, do you think he's got the, the quality in the squad to, to help keep them up or will he just be, be drawing on whatever it was that, that he implemented so successfully last time he was there? Yeah, I think so because yeah, he'll try and use his personality. I think he'll be obviously very 
high intensity on the on the training ground um, to try and get them back to that level that they were at during his successful tenure. But some of the players that have been brought in won't have necessarily been people that he would have cherry picked. Um, so it's going to be very difficult for them to stay in the league. I still look at them and, and Barnsley and think it's going to be very tough. Um, Wigan have had a fantastic run, really pulled themselves away from trouble. So I think there's one spot left available for that Charlton, Hull City, Middlesbrough and maybe Stoke City could get dragged, dragged back into it as well. So I'll tell you what though, Sam, with, 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 with the situations at Charlton and Hull that we've just discussed, Bowie are linked with other clubs as well. You know, key men out. Hull, we know that Sean of, of key men. It's not impossible for Hull and Charlton to go down here. I, th- I think there, I think there is a if if a couple of wins for Luton and or Barnsley, and they'll they'll start to believe. Oh, it's just nice to be talking about things like this, isn't it? <laughs> like consequences <laughs> of football matches. I just really enjoyed that. All right, time for some quick odds with producer Abby, courtesy of William Hill. Right, Abby, Fulham-Brentford, one of the matches that we've been speaking about. Uh, who's going to get the win here, according to our bookmaker friends? Well, I think William Hill are taking note of what's happening in the Bundesliga because they're backing Brentford here for the win. 31-10 to 10 for Brentford to take the win and Fulham are 9-5 to 5 for a home win. But if you fancy both teams to score with all that attacking prowess up front, that is odds on 11-8. to 8. How about that whole Charlton game? What will you give me on an away win here? Uh, actually, contrary to what I've just said, they're actually going with the Hull as favourites in this one. Uh, nine to four for Charlton to win, and Hull being home, uh, five to four to win. And we spoke to Phil Hay about whether Leeds were going to slip up again or power on up to the Premier League. What what do William Hill think in terms of their chances of getting promoted? I mean, it's basically done and dusted by William Hill's uh, reckoning. It's uh, one to sixty six for Leeds to be promoted, and four to eleven that they win the championship outright. Crikey! All right, next up, playoffs. This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams. So League Two is all about four teams. Cheltenham, Exeter, Northampton and Colchester who will contest the playoffs. First legs on Thursday evening, return fixture on Monday. So we'll know who will be meeting at Wembley next time we meet. Let's have a look at those games then. The the first EFL action since the pause. One thing I'm fascinated by, Clarkie, and this is is the mentality. It's different to the championship games, I think, in in that players are going to have to quickly tune themselves into the fact that in a lot of cases, this is the biggest game that they've ever played in, but there's nobody there to watch it. It's, It's so important as to who gets to grips with that first, I suppose. Definitely. I think mentality is going to be a huge, huge factor here. And also the work of the respective coaches. I think you've got four four very good managers at this level operating in the playoffs, but it's using their time the wisest between when the players came back and, and, and when they when they take to the field. Who, who's got it right? Who who has got the players in tune the best? It's it's going to be fascinating. One thing I did spot was that, that, that Matty Taylor at Exeter decided not to have any friendly games. Um, just played between themselves. Didn't want to risk any infection by playing outside people. So, so just just had games between themselves. That's a gamble. It is, for in my opinion, um, will Exeter be ready for for a stiff test at, at Colchester United, who of course have got an outstanding defence. So, yeah, no, you're you're right. The players are going to have to get their head around the weird scenario very very quickly because these games matter just as much, even though. They're just cardboard cutouts in the crowd and not real people. (laughs) 
Yeah, those cardboard cutouts. 25 quid if you want to get one. Uh, Colchester advertising those. They're doing them for Exeter supporters too. And you can keep them once supporters are allowed back into the stadium. Uh, Exeter saying they've sold 550 for the return leg <laughs> at St. James's Park. Clark, you mentioned Matt Taylor then, Sam. He's also pointed out that anybody who gets a positive coronavirus test in the build-up, nobody has, thankfully, but they would have missed the entirety of the the playoff campaign because the two-week isolation period would cover the final two. Uh, he's also been talking about the travel issue, 250-mile coach trip on the day of the game for Exeter players. As it stands at time of recording, they've not been able to, to get a hotel for them to stay in. The, the coaching staff will be driving up in their cars. Have you done this often in your career where you've driven a a long distance on the coach and then played that same day? And if so, how does it impact you? Not too often, to be honest. Um, Ironically, we really well looked after at at Exeter City. It was tended to be a eight o'clock meet on a Friday morning and you train on the way up and you'd stay somewhere really pleasant. That was really uh, Paul Tisdale's way of doing things. Um, They were obviously arduous journeys from down there and that's what the Grecians are going to encounter uh, this week so yeah not ideal at all I think for the players that are maybe getting on in their careers the ones that are carrying injuries um, the ones that maybe have got the bad backs not ideal even with the little fold-out bed that we used to have at, at Exeter City so I'm not I'm not really across exactly what everyone's doing but I understand in the championship they're opening up hotels and O'Charlton are staying overnight at a whole city so not great if the League Two playoff teams are not going to have that that luxury. So that may come into play. I think this game in particular over the other one is going to be a really good football match. I think two teams capable of playing some good stuff. Northampton, Cheltenham may be a little bit more physical. Uh, fewer goals in it, I would predict. But Colchester and Exeter got some fantastic individual players, good firepower. And I think, given Exeter have had the uh, better record over Colchester in recent times, Colchester need to win that home game uh, Mm. to have any chance of uh, going through to the final. I've done it, by the way. I obviously played for poorer clubs than Sam did during his (laughs) career. But particularly when I went down to... to, When I played in the conference, played in the National League for, for many years, it was par for the course. Didn't have hotels. So we'd often go from Stevenage or Margate, even, up north on the day. And I tell you what... I had a slightly dodgy back at this point when you're getting off the coach and you're having to go and play the game that is not ideal I would go and have a long walk around the pitch and 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 try and loosen up but but yeah heavy legs definitely a factor after long journeys we'll see on Thursday and then in the return at the other game first leg at Sixfields Northampton against Cheltenham we were talking about cardboard cutouts while Northampton I've got one of Shaquille O'Neal because, of course, they have. Uh, Football-wise, <laughs> 1-1, then 2-1 to Cheltenham earlier in the season. Abby thinks that means that Cheltenham are going to win 3-2. Uh, only two wins from seven for the Cobblers in the league before the break. Sam, does that even matter at all? You know, we usually hear about form going out the window in the playoffs. I mean, that's even more so the case than usual now, surely. Yeah, I don't think it has a huge bearing that said, Cheltenham have been so brilliant defensively, the best record in the, the EFL. And the way that Northampton play, the way they set up, you know, a big reliance on the long throw going back to front. I think it's Newport, the only team that have had fewer successful passes than Northampton. So we know that they've got a particular style of play. Abby spoke to Keith Curl um, a month or so ago and said that he didn't really have the players to evolve the, the style at the moment. I think Cheltenham out of all the teams in League Two, 
are set up really well to to combat that. That they've got aggressive defenders, the back three. I think they'll make it a tight game, and I think they've probably got a little bit more firepower than than the Cobblers, especially with um, Hoskins who's suspended for this one. There's going to be a big reliance on the young lad Morton, uh, who's on loan and done brilliantly at Northampton, but a big pressure on his young shoulders. I just think you know Cheltenham are going to just just sneak this one in a in a tight couple of games. Yeah, they've only conceded 10 goals on the road in 18 matches. 10 goals in 18 away games. I mean, I've played in teams that conceded that in two games. It's 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 um it's a remarkable record and yeah, I agree and and and, and on Cheltenham that they're the only member of this playoff quartet that are unbeaten in the in the mini league during the season proper. They haven't lost against any of the three playoff teams, which will give them a bit of confidence. But the point Sam made about the firepower, I think, is is really important. We've spoken before, Cheltenham have got lots of forwards, and crucially, they've got lots of different types of forwards. And uh, and that, I think, might stand them in good stead over, over what I think will be three games for them between now and the end of the season. Elsewhere in League Two, Friday is the day when we'll find out Macclesfield's fate in terms of points being docked, which might clear things up a little bit relegation-wise. The National League decision's been delayed, but hey, you might know it by this point, listener. The League One playoffs will be on Friday the 3rd of July and Monday the 6th, with the final the following Monday, which is the 13th, so we'll preview those nearer the time. Uh, all very exciting. Let's get some odds on the League Two playoffs then. Abby, who are the outright favourites to go up with William Hill? So I think Clark is probably backing Cheltenham as the horse uh, is favourite here, but uh, it, they are the second favourites according to William Hill, five to two. Uh, Exeter are the favourites at nine to four, with Colchester and Northampton both tied at three to one to be the fourth and final promoted team to League One. Did you just do a Cheltenham horse joke? Not on purpose, but yes. Right. <laughs> And I'm going to miss the first race at Ascot if you don't get a move on. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Abby. <laughs> right, that's just about it for this week. Sam, are you back seeing Colin again? Uh, Murray, not Warnock. I hope so. I hope I'll be um, called up for maybe the playoffs in a, in a few weeks' time. So, yeah, looking forward to that. And I don't think I'm going to be at a game until big Brentford-West Brom tussle in about 10 days' time. So, yeah, looking forward with a little bit of anxiety probably to get him back into the stadiums. Clarky, how how's your uh, TV schedule panning out? How, how are you going to make space for this Millwall Middlesbrough game at uh, three <laughs> o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon? Oh, I'll make space. All right. Well, we'll have to get, yeah, I'll have to, um, yeah, sort out a rotor when I with Mrs. Clark and, uh, and make sure that I've got a bit of, bit of spare time and I'm kid free for that one. But, um, but yeah, look, lots and lots of football to watch for all of us over the coming weeks and having watched none for about three months that's that's quite quite exciting isn't it yeah I think my wife summed it up quite nicely last night when she said I'm happy for you that football's back but when are we going to watch the final part of the Salisbury poisoning (laughs) I've got a click and I've got a click and collect six to eight tonight (laughs) unbelievable Uh, we've just started getting into pole dark um, so we've been binge watching that but look it's gonna have to be put on hold isn't it what can you yeah, do? Yeah, there are there are more important things. Football's the most important of the least important things. As somebody once said, uh, remember this week only you can get fifty percent off an athletic subscription by going to theathletic.com slash TFS. I promise we won't be this all overboard with it every week. It's a first week thing. I'm trying to make a good impression. Uh, listeners, thank you for your time. It's good to be back. We'll speak to you next week. 
you've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Muddy Knees Media.